Hey, welcome to the Spring Hills podcast feed. Today, we've got a sermon replay for you. We now put our sermons on the podcast feed, so you can have easy access to it. Uh, you can go to the Spring Hills app under media, and you can find the podcast feed there, uh, so you can listen to the sermons easily while you're driving to work. You can listen to them on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast. We we have our feed up. So uh, the sermons are now available to you on the podcast feed. And then, of course, we talk a lot about the sermons throughout our episodes. So those are always good to, to catch up on. If you missed last weekend at church, you can listen to Pastor Brett's sermon here on the feed and then listen to the following episode of the Spring Hills podcast. So check out this message from this past weekend. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Spring Hills. How are you today? That's it? How are you guys doing? You guys doing good? All right. I'm in the right room here. Oh, glad to be here with you today. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Nick, and uh, just a, a privilege to be here with you. Um, before I start, just want to honor your pastor, and who has been uh, not just a great friend, but a great voice of wisdom in my life over the years, and I really appreciate him. And exercising his prophetic gift today, from what I hear about the Super Bowl, so would you honor him with me today? And just, I'm, I'm thankful for him. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Us 49ers fans, still, that's still that wound. It just gets closer to getting healed, and every year it gets ripped open again, so... Um, Relationships Matter is your series, and so I want to talk to you today about something, actually something I took my church through for like six or seven weeks last year, and talk about living with an open heart, uh, something that applies to all our relationships, whether it's your friendships, your marriage, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and um, talking about the heart. Uh, Proverbs says, uh, as the water face, in the water face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. And talking about this concept that we are all familiar with, which is like the heart is the, the center of where you live from, right? It's the place of passion. Like we talk about life flowing from your heart, right? Your heart. Um, and I love you with my heart. I care about you. That, that touched me in my heart. Uh, the Bible actually uses the heart, but it also talks about things like, like loving people with your loins or your bowels, too. Um, but it, that, we don't use that anymore because it would screw up all our, all our love songs and our <laughs> things. So we'll go with the heart today. Um, but, but the heart is the place of passion. It's the place where your vitality and your longing and your affections come from. And so obviously it has a lot to do with our relationships. And the Bible says to watch over or watch out for your heart. And it says be diligent about it. Um, because it says, from it flow the springs of life. And what it's saying is, is that what comes out of your heart is going to define your relationships. And the Bible talks a lot about this conflict that we have uh, in our relationships from our hearts. And it basically goes something like this. Um, 
I know how I ought to act, but this is how I feel. You know what I mean? Like, I know what the right thing to do is. I know what even the Christian thing to do is. I know what Pastor Brett preached about last weekend, but this is how I feel in the moment. And that is, there's a conflict there that can really affect your, again, your friendships, your relationships, your romantic relationships, um, certainly your close family relationships. I want to talk about living with an open heart. God wants us to live with an open heart. So, uh, get your Bible out. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to bring one to church, but they will have the scriptures for you up on the screen. Here. I want to I read a passage that's probably familiar to a lot of you, uh, and it's a parable Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. So let's read this together, shall we? Uh, Luke 10, and let's go with verse 30. So Jesus tells this story. He says, uh, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which is Bible for got mugged, (laughs) who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And that's the last we hear about the priest. Likewise, a Levite, now a Levite would be uh, a, a specialist in, in the tabernacle worship. He was a specialized religious order. And uh, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and then passed by on the other side. And that's the last we hear of the Levite. Uh, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, Samaritans were sort of a, uh, a mixed ethnic uh, people from that area and um, uh, that was, had to do with, with Jerusalem being, or, uh, Israel being counted off to captivity. And anyway, the pure-blooded Jews looked down on them. They are never the hero of the story. And of course, Jesus loves turning the tables on us on this. And so the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came there, and when he saw him, he had, everybody say it, compassion. compassion. The word literally, if you look this up, I think it's in Greek, it looks this, look this up, the word being translated for had compassion is um, made his bowels yearn. Which is, again, why we go with the heart. But he had compassion. We would say something like, the scene touched his heart. This man's pathetic situation touched his heart. Um, And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Which, that would actually be enough for this story, but actually goes on. On the next day... When he departed, he took out two denarii, which is like, think of a denarii as like a day's wage, more or less, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. All right, so this zooms out now, and Jesus addresses the crowd he's talking to and says, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And they said, obviously, he showed mercy on him. So Jesus said to them, go and do likewise. So there's this scene, this, this poor man in this unfortunate scenario, and three people walk past him. There's a situation that God has set up where there's something God wants to do, and only one of them had heart, a heart open enough to understand what this moment was about and to act on. And that's what I want to talk about today. God wants us to live with an open heart in our relationships. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that is life to us. And I ask today, Lord, for your blessing on the next few minutes that we have together. Uh, Lord, we, open, we declare today that our minds are open, 
to receive the wisdom and instruction that your word would give us. Uh, And more than that, Lord, our hearts are open, and we ask you to teach us to open our hearts, uh, not only to your word, but to the people around us, the people that we are in relationship with, our friends, our spouses, our brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers in Christ. Teach us to open our hearts today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, living with an open heart. Uh, I'm going to give you a definition just for the purposes of this uh, today, and the definition is, for living with an open heart, I'm talking about maximizing your capacity to give and receive life. You are placed where you're placed in relationship with who you're in relationship with, and God designs you with this capacity to both give and receive life. The ability that you have to give the best of yourself to the people around you, the best of your personality, the best of your gifts, the best of your talents, the best of your time and attention, uh, is dictated by how open your heart is to give these things. And not just that, but your ability to receive that which God wants to bring into your life is also determined by how open your heart is. There are things God would like to give you that our hearts are not open enough to receive, right? God is not cruel. He will not take a hammer and anvil and crack our hearts open. He asks us to keep our hearts open. So I just wanted to think about that because the capacity that you have to give and receive life is determined by how open your heart is, the ability to uh, feel properly and speak properly and and, and pay attention and focus properly is determined by how open your heart is. And this applies to all of our relationships. I'll just give you a few here. An open heart is required for us to properly celebrate great joy or to empathize with great pain. Those two things have a lot of weight in our lives. I mean, don't you love it when you have something great happen in your life and you tell somebody and they're really, truly, sincerely, genuinely happy for you and they're like, that is great. I am so happy for you. Some of you are looking at me like, dude, that never happens to me. (laughs) But seriously, don't we love that when people are sincerely happy and know how to rejoice with us Like the Bible tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice. Like that's a command in Scripture. So do we rejoice properly with people with whom it is right to rejoice to, right? Otherwise, like, I mean, isn't it lame when like people and you tell somebody, this is great, this happened to me and it's great. And they're like, ah, that's great. Let me tell you what happened in my life the other day. (laughs) Isn't that so lame? Don't you hate that? So the ability to do that, to, to rejoice properly, the ability to empathize with the inevitable challenges and trials and hardships and um, difficulties and pain and tragic circumstances that every one of us experiences in our life and, and the places we feel alone and hurt and the ability for people to come and to truly enter with real empathy into this moment with us and help us carry the weight of that without being really trite and saying, well, you know what, Jesus is good and it's going to get better. Like, I already know that, but what I need is somebody to really be in this moment and carry this moment with me. We need an open heart for this. We need an open heart. And I will tell you this, the age we're in, the social media age, has broken 
our ability to process these deeply emotional moments. Like it's all above the neck, and so we know how to process it with our brains, but like down into the heart is where we can really bear the weight of these moments. Are you with me so far? Okay, so an open heart um, is required for this. An open heart is required to lead people effectively and compassionately. If you own a business here, if you're a manager of people, or you lead people, or you lead your family, the ability to lead compassionately and, and, um, and, and effectively without treating people as commodities, we need an open heart for that. Uh, the ability to build a lifelong successful marriage requires an open heart. Some of you married people that have been married a long time, say amen, please. It requires an open heart because there's going to be stuff. Along with that, an open heart is required to raise capable, God-honoring children. Some of you that have kids, say amen. I have three kids, 12, 10, and almost six, and you need an open heart because they will try your patience. And I love them very much. The ability, uh, having an open heart is required to cultivate meaningful friendships. Um, men especially, like hear me on this, this is something that th- there, is a all, there is an all-out war on you regarding friendship in this culture. And the ability to move past, we're just talking about sports and you know politics and hunting or whatever it is, to move past and actually build real, affirming, strong, healthy friendships with other men. It's a vital part of your life. And we have to have an open heart to do this. And so much of our culture is, is pushing back against that. But we need that. We need to have an open heart uh, toward our friendships. And I could go on and on about this, but really an open heart is just required to live in tune with what God is doing in our lives, right? We need an open heart to give and receive. Now, Here's where the difficult part comes in because the opposite of an open heart is not a closed heart, it's a hard heart. It's not your, your heart doesn't close to people, it gets hardened and brittle towards people. And that's what we're seeing here with this text with the priest and the Levite. You know, I read this text and like we all know who the hero of the story, right? Like clearly, be like the good Samaritan is the point of this story. In fact, I could just say, should we just do that and wrap up the series right now? Like, all right, everybody go be more like the good Samaritan. Let's get the band up here and pray and be done. Like, like that's obviously the point. And here's the problem, though, is that I have read this like hundreds of times, and I've preached it easily into the dozens of times. And the problem is the more I focus on this, the more I start to identify with the priest and the Levite. The more I start to see myself in these two people. And the, the problem is, is that a hardened heart comes from a lot of what we already have. I don't read this, you know, you can read this priest and Levite and say, well, that's about the elite religious ruling class, and it's about people like Pastor Brett. Like, this doesn't apply to us. This is just, this is a warning, Jesus warning Pastor Brett uh, on this topic. No. You know what I see with the priest and Levite? I see two people that had everything that the, we have and find precious here in the West, I see people that had significance and security and financial security and they had a purpose for their life and they were pursuing their best life and there were very important people who were going about their business doing very important things and just didn't have time for anything else. And when we allow that to be the driving force of our life, our hearts begin to harden toward people. This can come up from a lot of different things. There's a lot of things in our life that can produce this. Not all of this is our fault. 
But a lot of things can produce or, or begin to harden a heart. Let me give you a couple of ideas. Uh, one of the big ones is um, uh, undealt with shame or, or unhealed wounds. Everyone here comes in, and, and you could identify what that means in your life. But here's the thing. If we have shame that has not been properly submitted to Christ, if we have wounds in our life that has not been the Scripture and has not been allowed to really deal with, what happens is we get into protect mode with people. And our relationships are defined by protection because we're so afraid of being exposed about who we really are. We're so afraid of people seeing that we're not perfect. We're so afraid of people seeing who we really are. We're so afraid of getting hurt again that we, that we wall off those places and our heart begins to harden. And instead of our hearts being healed, they begin to harden towards people. There's inaccessible places that keep our hearts from being open. Shame and unhealed wounds can harden our heart. Another one is just simply fear of loss. We live in this culture today that is like, there's this phrase, zero-sum, you know, zero-sum culture, which is like there's a finite amount of everything, and i got to make sure I get enough of it and don't waste it. And that's really built into this sort of consumeristic idea of our culture, which is like, I just, I don't have enough to give what God wants me to give. I only have so much time. I'm a very busy person, right? Is there anyone here that's not a very busy person? Everybody's busy. Like, that's the, that's the calling card. That does not impress anyone anymore. How you doing? Busy. Yeah, we'll join the club. Like, everyone's busy, right? Look at me. Very busy pastor, all right? Everybody's busy. And so what happens is this gets wired into our thinking, and we start to think, you know what? I would love to be more involved in what God is doing and, and, and like paying more attention, but the, tell, the truth is I just I don't have enough time. I don't have enough bandwidth in my life to really be a part of that. I've got so much going on, and I'm very busy, Instagram, very busy, and people expect a lot of me, and I just can't give money here. I can't give time here. I can't give resources here. And this sort of zero-sum mentality, fear of losing things as if God in his ownership of all things does not know how to replace that which we give. God gets really obnoxious in the scripture occasionally when people start telling him about what they can't do. He'll, go, he'll make big sweeping statements like this. Look it up. He'll go like, were you there when I spun the universe into orbit? Like, who do you think owns all of this? If I needed something, I wouldn't ask you because everything is mine. Like, he makes these, like, if this is how I would talk if I was God. I'd be really, like, sarcastic with people. It's like, who, did, who, who is it you think you're talking to here when you say you don't have enough, right? And so, so fear of loss can be a driver of hardening our heart towards people. And, and, the, and the last one is simply pride. And, and that, that's a hard one. That's not like one you'd write in your journal, um, but that's one, and it kind of goes like this. You know, I've been through some stuff. I've been through hard times, and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I started going to church, and I got my life together, and so should this person. You know what I mean? Like, I, hey, I dealt with it, so, so can you. We wouldn't call that pride. We'd call that sort of this, like, Christian American, pull myself up by my, my bootstraps, and uh, everything's fine. And it can harden our heart towards people. And so there's more to those lists, and you could probably write your own list, but the point is this. Hard hearts cause misdirected lives. When our hearts harden toward people, we stop being able to get a real reading on the moments that God brings us into. We start, our radar gets jacked up, and, and, and we start like not understanding. I start having a conversation, 
and, and yet I'm not really hearing spiritually what this person is actually saying, and I start missing opportunities to really speak into their life or to, to bear a burden. I stop hearing these little spiritual proddings in my life that go, whoa, hey, pay attention, because this person's trying to tell me something. I'm, I'm being invited by God into a moment with somebody right now, and I need to hear that and stop what I'm doing and sacrifice my VIP, my very important life, and pay attention because God has brought me into this moment. And, and, and if, we, if our hearts are hardened by whatever this is, whether it's, whether it's um, a fear of loss or shame or a pride and whatever it is, we, start, we, we get distracted or we get cynical and we start missing what it is that God's doing, right? So what I want to show you through this scripture for a couple of minutes is, is how to live with an open heart, okay? So let's, let's pick on the, the, the priest and the Levite here for a minute, and, and I'm going to give you three things, okay? Three things on, on what we can do right now in this moment to, to open our hearts and begin living with an open heart. And the first thing is this. In order to live with an open heart, we have to embrace the gospel's claim on our life. God has made a claim on your life and my life. Read the, Okay, look, look at this. Verse 31. A priest came down the road... And when you saw him, you passed by on the other side. That's it. When I read this, I see this priest, the, the, the failing here is that the priest didn't see himself as part of this man's story. He didn't see what he, his job that day did not involve entering into this man's story. He didn't, see, he didn't see God has brought me into this man's story. He said, I need to keep going with my thing. And, and here's the point. If we don't root our identity in who Christ is and what he's done for us, that, that Jesus has saved me, the unmerited favor of God has saved me, and I have been brought into his kingdom and, and made right before God, and now the Holy Spirit is, has filled me and put me on mission. If, if, if I don't have that sense of ownership from God and the ministry he's given me, I become detached from God's purpose in my life. And, and you will not get any help from our culture. You will not get, and listen, I love, I'm, I'm a Sonoma Countyite for life. I love our area. It's important to know what culture you live in. And our culture is, is obsessively focused on self. It's all about, what is it? Live your best life now. Increase, like, like you got to find the best of you. Look inside, pull that out, excavate that, and live your best life. Become your best self. And as regard, regarding people around you, if they are not overtly for you, if they're not like on your side cheering you on, then get them out of there, man. Like, like life is meant to terminate on me. That's the message you get from culture. And and you'll hear that everywhere. But here's the point. When we have committed our lives to Christ, when he has genuinely saved us, when we have been washed clean, we have been baptized into the church, and now I'm belonging to the eternal family of God, and his Holy Spirit has filled me and has, has changed and given me the mind of Christ so that I think the thoughts of Christ, and he's filled me with his power to accomplish the things that he's called me to beyond my own strength. When I am living in that context, my perspective and the purpose of my life completely shifts all of a sudden, there's this higher claim on my life than just be my best self. That's so boring when you think about it. 
Anyone can do that. And all of a sudden, I just, I look around, I see that, you know what, listen, the highest claim of my life, is it my family? No, even though the family is extremely important. Is it my, my community? Is it my, my job? No, all very important things. But the highest claim on my life is Christ. The highest claim is what God is doing now. And that supersedes everything else. We need that refreshed in our lives, brothers and sisters. We need to be continually reminded of that because you are getting input from everything else that says focus on yourself. We need to be reminded that the claim of God is the most important thing in our life. And that's why we need the practical things that God has given us. You know one of the best things to do to refresh this in your mind and refresh this in your heart? Go to church every weekend. Oh my gosh, that was lame. Let's try that again. I felt like Pastor Brett said amen, but nothing else. Go to church every weekend. Listen, don't be one of these boring statistics that says, oh, I go there once or twice a month. I just get my, I get my little thing, my little spiritual morsel and all that. And I try to keep up. It's so boring. Don't do that. Like, like every weekend, you need good preaching that's filtering the word of God through your heart and through your mind and refreshing your identity in Christ. Like, you need this. And not just going to church. Like, you need to be a part of the church. Like, belonging to people and going to your small groups or whatever the opportunities there are, knowing people and getting to be known by people, opening your heart to people, seeing what's in their heart, seeing who you're walking with, being refreshed by them. Like, we need this stuff, friends. We need this stuff. Amen. And as we do, we move from that I'm too busy with living like a Christian person mentality opening our hearts to the mission of what God is actually doing, and it is exciting to be a part of what God is actually doing. It's exciting. Amen. Okay, so that's the first thing. We have to, we have to, to uh, uh, submit to the gospel's claim on our life. God has a claim on my life. Here's the second thing we can learn, and it's found in the next verse, 32. Let's go with the Levite here. It says, uh, it's almost the same as the priest, right? It says, um, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. One change, one difference between him and what the priest did, and, one, and that's the Levite came and looked. The second thing I, I believe is important to, open, to living with open heart is that we have to learn to process our emotions in prayer. Um, I'm suspicious that what happened here is the Levite looked and felt some level of either false empathy or disgust with this person and just kept moving. And we can, that can look like, you know, just like you're walking and just, oh, man, ah, God bless you, brother. I just, I, Lord, I just pray the best on him. In Jesus' name, Lord, just, I'm sorry. I've got to, yeah, no, I just saw this. Dude, I just saw this horror. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and we can act that. It doesn't have to be someone that's beat up on the side of the road. We can act that way in our relationships. Um, we can do that when we don't allow God to filter the feelings of our heart. Um, here's the thing. Jeremiah has one of the most succinct definitions of the heart, and it's totally not one that you write love songs or romantic comedies about. And it goes like this. It says, the heart is, everybody say it, deceitful above all things and desperately what? Sick. Who can understand? Oh, that's romantic. Like, that's what you want to preach relationships matter on, right? There's a definition of the heart, and yet that's what it says that's what it says. 
And, and if I was to do my own translation of Scripture, it would be something like this. Um, so as it turns out, follow your heart ends up being really bad advice. Like terrible advice. Follow your heart is some of the worst advice you can give somebody. And why? Because your feelings are real, but they're not necessarily true. You feel real things. You feel real things toward people, in the moment with people, especially the people that are close to you. You feel things in that moment, and the temptation is to act on those feelings as if that's the important thing, and yet these feelings, as real as they are, are not necessarily true. We feel things toward people like what? Like fear or anger. And again, the closer you get in relationship with somebody, these, these, relationships get magni- these uh, feelings get magnified. Anger, disgust, disappointment. And if we allow those emotions to be the dominant emotions, the dominant place of our action, our hearts get hard toward people and our consciences get dulled toward people. And so what I'm saying is that we have to get honest about the condition of our heart. And the way we get honest about the condition of our heart is we open the Scripture and we get before God. And the Scripture, which is the place where you can always read something true about yourself, uh, holds up a mirror to reflect to our heart and we see what we are. And so we take our emotions, whatever they are, anger, disgust, disappointment, whatever it is, and we hold it up before God and say, God, I'm in this relationship with this person and here's how I feel. And God says, okay, let's talk about this feeling before you act on it, before you send a text, before you speak rashly to them, let's, let's talk about this feeling. Let's process this feeling. Where is this feeling coming from? Is it because of what they did or is it because of misplaced expectations you have of them? Is it because of what they're going through or what you're going through? And all of a sudden our, our feelings get, what's that word you use when you, uh, in cooking and you melt something down? Reduce, thank you very much. Redu- you reduce, it gets reduced. <laughs> Sorry, I don't cook, so I'm looking for. Um, you redu- I mean, I cook mac-, mac and cheese, but not anything else. <laughs> you re- it gets reduced down. All of a sudden, God can move it into the place and say, okay, let's talk about what's actually real here. And then these feelings get reduced down into where God actually wants to work with them. And all of a sudden, we start to be able to see people and see ourselves as God does. And all of a sudden, we can start to see the people that maybe we were initially angry or frustrated with through the eyes of the compassion of God and all of a sudden the virtues that we so desperately long for in other people, virtues like forgiveness and empathy are allowed to be developed. But this doesn't happen in the moment if you allow your feelings to be the defining characteristic of your relationships. It happens when we submit our feelings to God and we allow him to process our emotions as we pray. Are you with me here? Okay. Okay, last one and I'm done. So let's go to our hero. So we talked about the priest and Levi. Let's go to our hero. And our hero is the Samaritan. And man, what's amazing. He, 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 it's, he, he, he heals him in the moment. He bandages his wounds. And then he goes the extra mile. He puts him on his animal and takes him to the inn. And it's just such a beautiful story. And, and so here's the last point, which is that in order to have an open heart, we have to cultivate generosity towards people. We have to cultivate a generous spirit toward the people in our life. Let me tell you a few things about human beings. Human beings are disappointing, sinful, inconvenient, proud, and dumb. 
Did I get everybody? Did I get you? Some people think about that you about you, and sometimes all at the same time. Right? Human beings are all these things often. And in our culture, we have this polarizing sense, which is we're supposed to increase, like we're supposed to love the people that are for us and demonize the people against us. And yet, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah we read about in Isaiah says this, um, it was our weaknesses that he carried. What did Christ carry to the cross? Our weaknesses. So we think about sins, yes, of course, but how about our weaknesses? And it was our sorrows that weighed him down. Jesus doesn't just carry your sins. He carries the results of those things. He carries the human condition and the weakness and sorrow that is so manifest often in our lives. And, and the reality is that, like Jesus, I am called to be a bearer of burdens. And nowhere is that more true than in the close relationships you have with people. We are called to bear each other's burdens. We are called to open our heart and absorb people's pain, make allowance for their faults, bear with them without ceasing to love them, conceal, cover, protect, keep confidence, always pointing them to Jesus, of course. We're meant to be burden bearers. It's an act of generosity to cover somebody's weakness. It's an act of generosity to bear with somebody who's not acting as they should or as we think they ought to. It's an act of generosity. It's an act, and really, it, it's more than an act of generosity. It's an act of hospitality. It's an act of hospitality where we put our, we extend the arms of our empathy around the relationship and say, there's a safe place in here for you to be occasionally dumb, occasionally inconvenient, right? There's a, there's, there's a place of generosity and hospitality that God calls us to work to, to offer people. And uh, let me give you one of the most well, let me give you one of those specific ways that you can operate, and you can put this into practice this week, even though you'll, you'll be terrible at it, okay? And I'm telling you because I've tried, and I'm terrible at it when I start, okay? But here, let me, let me give you an idea how you can do this. Teach yourself to interpret people's words and actions in the most charitable way possible. I told you it's hard. And here's why it's hard, because you're trained in our culture to think the opposite. Here's how our culture teaches you to, to, to train. It teaches you to train, it teaches you to, to, to see people in terms of leverage, right? Somebody says something, we, we are trained to, to look at what they said and take what they said and, and, and interpret it in the worst way possible and then attack that. Like I just described all of social media for you right? Like take the worst possible, like Pastor Brett was talking about football, and, and he, was, he, was, he was not paying attention to the, to the wounds that us 49ers fans are carrying deep in our hearts, which means he doesn't care about us, which means Pastor Brett does not care about you. See how easy that was? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I saw that, I saw that conversation on, uh, on Instagram the other day. But, but here's the point, like the culture says set up some sort of straw man and, and condemn them and use leverage against them. And, and in fact, Christ says the opposite. He says, surrender the opportunity for leverage and behave generously towards them. And that means putting yourself in a position where you might have the weaker position. Because if I take somebody and I say, I'm going to take what you said or what you did, and I'm going to interpret in the most charitable way possible. I'm going to give you credit for what I think you meant rather than what you said inartfully. 
I'm going to give you credit for, I know where your heart is on this, and even though you're not maybe communicating it well, I know what you mean, and I'm going to give you credit for that. It's scary because we lose leverage, and what if they don't treat us the same way? The message here is, so what? That's how Christ has treated you. So we behave. You want to have an open heart toward people? Be a place of generosity. This can change. This can change instantly, can change relationships. All of a sudden, instead of combat, what they're hearing from us is, wow, there's just like this, this hospitable, safe space you've created. What? You didn't snap back at me and, and, and all that? You, you just you took what I said and, and gave me credit for what I meant? When we find places there where our hearts begin to open and you never know, their heart might open too. Now, the last thing I'll say about this generosity thing is the best way to develop this habit in your life is to train yourself in generosity. And I mean practical generosity. Any chance you have to be generous. I don't think the Samaritan can afford what he did here. I'm pretty sure he dipped into his savings account for this. It's a lot of money. If you, if you translate it into like modern terms, it's a lot of money you spent. You got a hotel room, hotel room. You got an Uber ride, sort of. Um, you got a, and, and, and whatever. And like, like that cost him a lot. But I suspect that this was not the first time he'd been generous. We have to train ourselves in generosity. You know where the best place to start is? Right here at church. Whatever opportunity you have to develop habits of generosity, take it. I already set a really low bar, which is make sure you're in church all the time. Let me raise the bar just a little bit, and it's not that high, but let me raise the bar. If you're not serving on a team somewhere, get involved. Get your hands on the rope somewhere. Be a part of what's going on, not just a passive consumer of it. Like, sh- like you're, e- even if you're just a body, you're going to say, I don't know what my gifts are. You know what? Maybe, maybe the person that you're going to serve with will help you find and discover those gifts. Maybe you need somebody to show you what you're good at. Get in there and get your hands on the rope. Serve somewhere. Give generously. Like Spring Hills Church does so much good in our community. Like make sure that you're part of that. So when you see and you like the Instagram post about what they're doing, you know, like I sewed into that. I'm part of it. That's my DNA. I'm part of what they're doing. Practice generosity. Make it a habitual part of your life. And when you come to these scenarios, when that is a a habit in your life, you're going to show up in these moments with your relationships and all of a sudden you're going to see an opportunity and there's going to be an opportunity to really hold this person accountable and tighten the screws and you go, wait a minute, how can I be generous toward them right now? How can I open my heart to them? I'm telling you, it works. Okay. Would you pay, uh, close your eyes with me today? God is calling you to live with an open heart. If you are here today and you are uh, not a Christian, maybe someone dragged you to church this morning, um, I'm glad you're here today. You're, you're welcome here. You belong here. And my hope, if that's you, is really that you've just heard one thing, which is that the heart of God is open to you today. His deep love and care for you. It's open to you. And his great desire is that you would open your heart to receive that and open your heart to him in return. He's real. He loves you deeply. He has a plan for your life. And I hope that you'll receive that today. I know there, and I really sincerely believe there are relationships in this house right now. Maybe you've been thinking about a a family member or a friend that's, relationship has been nice down or on the rocks and 
and it's waiting to be healed and you've been a little bit cold and maybe passing each other on the road and, and there's an impasse maybe and, and what God is saying today is that it's time to open your heart, take the risk, open your heart. Maybe there's healing waiting to happen and it's going to be because you responded to the call of God in that relationship. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a profound awareness of the people around us. I pray that you would give us the willingness to be interrupted, that we would not be found just rushing to the next thing, but that we would have a, a profoundly open heart to people. I pray that every phone call Every conversation will be so infused with your spirit that we would pay attention, that we would be the good Samaritan in every relationship, Lord God, that we would hear spiritually, that we would hear what is actually being said. We would hear the pain or we would hear the need, Lord God, and that we would maybe emotionally or relationally be found to stepping off the road and, and healing and binding wounds, Lord. Give us the courage to be interrupted, we pray. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.